Gerald is a social worker and adoption professional specializing in international adoption. Um, he would love to see thousands of homeless children across the world have the opportunity for a forever family. And this is one of the reasons we have Gerald on as our guest today. Join us today for Gerald's story and hear about how his profession has taken him across the world in search of families to bond together through adoption. So join us now for Let's Talk Adoption as we have our guest, Gerald Bowman, join us. Welcome, Gerald. Hi, Marty. How are you doing? Fine. Thank you. You're in, now, you're from the United States, right? Yeah, I'm actually from Virginia, and uh, I've been living in Germany since uh, 1987. Wow, that's great. And so tell me a little bit about um, how long you've been in the adoption field. Well, I first got kind of started in the uh, adoption, uh, kind of coincidentally, uh, in about 1989, a woman called me. I was working for the Army, and she said, I know you're a licensed social worker, and I need that for a home study from then Romania. And uh, I had some experience doing home studies, but not a whole lot, and I did that for her, and that worked then. And after that, I tended to do them uh, now and then and it, when people contacted me, and I guess just through working with, like, uh, the INS and State Department, some agencies, I've kind of developed into that. But I'd say after I got on the Internet and became, um, um, you know, Internet savvy after, in 1996, that began to really take things off after then. That's when I found out about you was about, you know, just a few years back. And um, there aren't a lot of people doing what you're doing, uh, which is um, a very needed um, service. What is the normal waiting time for an international adoption? Well, you know, it really depends. Uh, without, uh, it's hard to kind of pin that down to one time, but I would say uh, it, there's a lot of factors like what country you're adopting from, your situation, uh, who you're working with. Mm -hmm. But if when people tell me, what I tell them as a very basic ballpark figure is once that somebody is really ready to adopt and they say, okay, we're going to do that, we're getting ready to gather the documents, we're going to uh, work with an agency, I tell them as a very general figure, 18 to 24 months. And that can happen quicker, uh, sometimes longer, though I haven't heard too many going longer than that. But I just tell that just as a ballpark figure to work with. And, again, it can go quicker than 18 to so 24 months. It could be maybe months. a year for some, some countries. Do you think a it, year would be? It really kind of, again, it, there's a lot of factors involved there. But, uh, and, it get, again, things tend to have speeded up. I mean, uh, used to be waiting for fingerprints from the INS took a, a quite a long time, and now it seems like, at least over here in Europe with the INS offices, it seems like they're turning them around uh, much quicker. Yeah, with the fast track, they get in and they can get them done within a very short period of time. What Are the, are the fees more expensive in, than a domestic adoption for international? Well, I haven't worked, done everyone, uh, but I would say generally uh, the fees for an international adoption are generally more expensive than a uh, domestic adoption. That's my impression, yeah. Okay, so a little bit more on that, too. And what countries, and I know there's probably a lot of them, and there's some that are closed down right now, uh, can families legally adopt from? You know, that's, a, again, an interesting question. Uh, uh, that the, um, if one goes to the State Department website, and that's at uh, www.state.gov, you'll see that they have a list of countries from A to Z. That's okay. Afghanistan to Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. Now, I've not worked on a home study from every one of those countries, but I assume that, uh, that that's a good place to start if somebody's interested in finding out what country they would like to adopt from. Um, many people that adopt internationally uh, and are, reside abroad uh, 
tend to maybe work in a country they're uh, already living in, like, for example, somebody maybe who's living in Russia, mm-hmm. although that's not always possible. Uh, for example, I've done home studies for folks in the in the Middle East, uh, the Arab Emirates, Syria, Oman, these kind of countries, and uh, unless you're Muslim, you cannot adopt from there. I see. But one couple I did was a Muslim, so they were able to adopt from they there. Do. Now, do you work with military families? I work with... Uh, that's a good, let me expand on that. I do work with military families, but if you're talking about American citizens that live abroad, there's really three groups of American citizens that live abroad. And I just want to go through that just sure. real quick. Yeah. One is people that are uh, with the U.S. military or U.S. government, State Department, or working for a governmental agency. That's one group. The second group is people that are, say, over here from three to five years working on a contract with a, a company what Siemens or General Electric or whatever, that's the second group. And the third group is uh, people, I guess, more like myself, who've kind of been here. I've been here since 1987. So uh, people who live abroad, who own property, who pay taxes, who work locally, and that's the three groups you're talking about. And for that third group, like myself, in some countries, that's really the most challenging uh, group to work with. So tell me, uh, if, if military family, we're going to have some military families listening to this, um, if they were, do you know the process they would go through if they wanted a home study and they were living, let's say, in Germany? Would you be able to help them with that home study? I can help anybody with a home study in any country in the world. I go all over the world. Mm-hmm. So being in Germany would not be a problem. Yeah. Uh, it is a little bit of a, uh, it has become a little bit of an issue for folks that are, you know, uh, working, who are in the, uh, who live in a country, uh, unless they have a firm um, uh, date that they're going back to the state. Some countries it has become very difficult to work for, although generally people in the military or government do have a return date, have permanent housing in the United States. That, and they're also under a quasi, people in the military are under a quasi-diplomatic status uh, uh, in Europe. It's called the Status of Forces Agreement. And mm-hmm. so it's not so much of a challenge for them, though it can be. Mm-hmm. can be. Well, you know, getting back to this, too, is it basically, let's explain to some of the folks, too, listening, what a, what a home study, you know, is, um, just in a nutshell. Okay. Well, it might be a large nutshell, but I'll tell you, a a home study, I'll just give you kind of an official thing. A home study is a universally required document as a prerequisite to placing a child in an adoptive home. Mm -hmm. It's not possible to adopt a child without having a home study done. The home study is a detailed overview of a family that wants to adopt. Mm -hmm. It's an official document, but in my mind, it's not just a document. It's also a process. And I think, too, I, I know a home study is a people study. It's not so much the home you're living in. Uh, because sure. That's... You know, it's not just an idea. I mean, I think that the idea that a home study, that where somebody's just going to come in and um, look at your house and uh, uh, say, like, well, there's no uh, wires hanging down and this kind of thing, uh, I would say that's just really one part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, working with a couple or a single person, I do work with single persons mm-hmm. as well, uh, the homestay is not me coming into your home seeing if you have dust on your cabinet sure. or to pass or fail you, but I see it, and I, this is how I work, but rather than an opportunity for me to clarify any parts of the adoption process that the couple are unclear about, mm-hmm. it's a chance for me to speak to any issues, 
issues that the couple might want to talk about, which is perhaps easier face-to-face as opposed to talking on the phone or an email. And finally, I see my role as a social worker working with a family is to be an advocate for that couple as opposed to being a judge of them. Right. So you must travel you know, all over Europe then. Is, is, that, is there any area that you do not go to? No, I go all over Europe and uh, the Middle East and Africa. Wow, that's wonderful. Um, how many trips usually are required, like, uh, for an international adoption for a child? Um, uh, you know, the only country so uh, – oh, you mean as far as doing the home study? Well, if you go to the home study, right, how many times do you have to go visit, let's say, first uh, to visit? The Unless family? it's – you know, uh, the only country that I'm aware of and a good – I'm not an expert on every country, sure. uh, and so that's where I have to talk with the uh, couple, but uh, the only – country that I'm aware of right now that requires more than one home visit for the home study would be uh, China, which requires four visits for a uh, uh, completed home study. Wow, and do you actually go to China then? Have you done that at all, or is it, do you stay permanent? No, I mean China for somebody who wants to adopt from China, say somebody that's living in Germany or uh, and wants to adopt a child from China, China wants a home, the social worker could, to visit that couple four times. Wow, does that include post-placement visits too? No, that's just the uh, that's just the uh, visits that are required for the home study. Wow, that's amazing! It's curious because you know you never you're not sure like why four, why not three, why not five, but sure. they want four, and so that's what uh, we have to work around. Mm-hmm. That certainly makes it a little bit more um, how should we say time consuming sure. uh, and also challenging because, for example, I, I had a, a couples that live in uh, the Middle East or in Africa, and I've done home studies for them. And, you know, I can't run down there uh, every week, once a week. So we have to kind of work out a schedule where I can get there for visits done, uh, which satisfies the requirements for China. And, like I said, it's kind of a logistical challenge. But we seem to have worked that out so far. That's wonderful. Now, how long does a family have to stay in the country where they're adopting from? Or do they, they don't have to live there, of course. Like no, there's no requirements for uh, a couple to actually reside in a country where they're adopting from. I mean, it's, all, uh, it's not, uh, I guess I've run into that in Russia, Ukraine, um, and in the Middle East, uh, where the people actually resided in the country they were adopting from. But they had no uh, specific um, requirements. But, uh, again, generally working abroad, working with people, Americans that live abroad, uh, they tend to be maybe living, uh, it's, it's, it's rare that I do that, let's mm-hmm. put it that way. I think, you know, Russia, uh, the Czech Republic, I've done a few there where people adopted from there and then from the Middle East. But generally, people are not kind of narrowed down to uh, adopting from a country uh, where they reside. And now, in some cases, you... it's impossible for them to do that, too. Mm-hmm. Do you, can you do a home studies for uh, U.S. citizens living in the U.S.? Can I do home studies for U.S. citizens living in the U.S.? Wanting to adopt, let's say, in, in Russia or in another country? Uh, I haven't been asked to do that because it seems like the resources there are uh, more abundant, so that really hasn't happened to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have done home studies. Interestingly, now, I have had done a home study for uh, couples, and then I've done post-placements uh, for them in the United States, but that was more or less because it was convenient for them uh, because I was in the United States, and as long as I was there, we could work that out. Sure. So that was very, I mean, that's kind of a nice and pleasant experience, but that doesn't happen so long. Uh, one of the other things I do, and although agencies, again, help uh, couples with this as well, one of the things I can do is help arrange for that uh 
for the couple who, that is going back to these states to put them in touch with local resources. That's great because I find that's true when we have a military family saying, can we adopt? We're, we're, you know, we're living right now in this country and uh, we're planning on coming back in two years. We want to make sure we can adopt what happens if we're in between the adoption. You know, yeah, the post-placement visits are really uh, uh, pretty critical, and I, I think it's important to kind of uh, get that set up uh, as soon as possible. Uh, I would say another good resource for that is uh, an adoption support group, either locally or on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I encourage people to get involved with that. Yes, there are quite a few uh, good international adoptions, especially for each country, too, and the resources are abundant um, on those, uh, those lists and those groups. Um, Briefly, if, if someone's, as you mentioned, you can work with, if someone just recently married or divorced, you can still, they can still adopt. A single person can adopt internationally. Uh, you know, I have to say again, that's been, uh, uh, it hasn't been, I, I'm sure that there are, uh, I, what I would do, I would check the regulations on this once you begin to research adoption. Uh, I have not been in a situation where a couple has been so recently married or divorced. I kind of think, or um, that the a rule of thumb may be six to twelve months, uh, uh, but I haven't. Again, I haven't had the experience that somebody is so recently married or so recently divorced that they are then jumping from that kind of emotional situation into adoption. Uh, an adoption which, so which, quick. I mean, yeah. I could imagine a scenario where perhaps somebody who has known one another or lived together for a certain amount of times and they got married, and now they just want to go for the adoption, sure. but I, in doing this, uh, I, again, in the time I've done it, that it's just a situation that I've not come across. Sure. Well, listen, we're going to take a break, Gerald, and okay. um, we're going to be right back when we come back with Gerald, sharing more information about international adoption. Don't touch that mouth. Lifetime Adoption facilitates domestic adoption of infants and older children nationwide. They have customized plans to fit any need and handle open as well as semi-open adoptions. Lifetime Adoption has a 24-hour, 7-day-a-week birth mother contact line. All their services are private and confidential, and financing is available. Visit their website at www.lifetimeadoption.com and see their over 80 online adoption family profiles. You can also visit the Birth Parent Seeking Family page. That's www.lifetimeadoption.com. LifetimeAdoption.com. I like the way you make me feel inside, and I like the way you love me. Just can't hide it. Lord, I like people. Are you tired of informative talk shows that bore you to tears, or empty-headed shock jocks who are all mouth and no thought? Then join Marsha Burkholder and Charles Ferrano Esquire each Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Net Talk the entertaining talk show with a legal twist which discusses contemporary issues that affect your everyday life. Join the discussion on voiceamerica.com every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. The moment she sees you, she gets excited. She can hardly control herself. She runs to you and jumps into your lap. You stroke her back. She licks all over your face. You rub her stomach. She pants heavily. Then she jumps down and runs off. She turns and tilts her head. She barks. She returns and lays at your feet. She whimpers. Then she darts off again. She probably wants you to chase her. She doesn't know you can't play like you used to. Because she doesn't know you're paralyzed. See, you didn't think you needed a seatbelt just to drive up the road. 
Then that truck ran that stop sign and bam, you got thrown from the car. If you had only known that most car crashes occur close to home, you would have been wearing your seatbelt and you wouldn't be stuck in that wheelchair. And this story wouldn't have gotten all twisted and you'd be rolling around on the floor by now. So buckle up because you never know. A message from the Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com, the world's leader in Internet talk radio. Welcome back to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. If you would like to participate in today's program, you can email Marty at info at letstalkadoption.com. Now, once again, here's Marty. Welcome back, and we're speaking with Gerald Bowman today about international adoption, the process, and all the ins and outs that you'll need to know about international adoption. Gerald, when we uh, left for break, we were discussing a little bit about, um, you know, whether single people can adopt. And, and one of the other questions we have here, too, is uh, age requirements in different countries. Can you share with us a little bit about age requirements? You know, uh, yeah, sure, I could talk a little bit about that. Uh, I'm not aware of any specific age requirements for every country. Now, I would, what I would suggest that to anyone that when they are interested in a specific country, and I think somebody uh, who is talking about international adoption, it's probably best if they narrow the country down to where they want to adopt from. I mean, certainly they have to do that at some point when they file with the INS. You can't just say, I just want to do an international adoption. Sure. I think if you're interested in a specific country or when they come to the, a decision about where they want to adopt from, then they should research all the information they can about that country. Mm-hmm. The majority of people single and couples that I've worked with have all been under 50, okay? But I think the rule of thumb is is that the uh, just, again, a ballpark rule is that the combined age of the couple cannot be over 100. For example, okay. if the husband's 50, the spouse has to be under 50, say 45 or whatever. Okay. Uh, and many European, many European countries, I mean, for uh, people here who are uh, German, English, or whatever, have age restrictions restrictions that are actually quite limiting. Mm. And uh, I was reading a posting the other day on the Internet about somebody, and this was kind of surprising to me, where a person who had adopted from Russia said that they had called every agency in a state in the, in, in the United States and were turned down for a domestic adoption because the spouse was 42, and now three years later they are the parents to two children from Russia. Uh, this kind of surprised me in a way, but then again, with 50 states, anything is possible. Right, but to go back to your original question, yeah. uh, it, the combined age of the couple really shouldn't go over 100. Sure, for the, the safety of the child, too, you know, for that long life on that. Um, as far as, and probably have to be over 18 years old, and an 18-year-old is not going to have the funds to be able to adopt internationally. I'm sorry? Uh, you know, they would probably have to be 18 to 21 years old to be able to adopt, too, from the, the, the lower end. The, yeah, I think there's actually, I, I believe the uh, there might be age requirements on that, uh, uh, that somebody has to be at least like 24 or 25 to be able to do an adoption. Okay, something like that, sure. That or an international adoption. Again, I, I'm not an expert on every country, so that's why I think it would be important to research that. Uh, but again, my experience has been most people are... Uh, not quite that young, like 18, 19, 20, or 21. No, I think, yeah, I think they're in their 30s, 40s, or like early 50s. Well, that brings me to another point. What about health screen for international adoptions, you know, for the child and for the family? What, what's required? Well, uh, a couple for a couple, uh, uh, a physical, including a test 
for uh, uh, HIV or other communicable diseases is a necessity for most countries. Um, and uh, most agencies require that. When I work, I have a, a health form that I give to people. If, they have, if they're working with an agency that has a health form, they don't have to use mine. But I give it. I have that just in case somebody doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as somebody who's adopting from uh, a child from a, another country, I, I think most experts recommend a health screening uh, uh, just to be sure. Sure. You know, there are a number of resources for this uh, uh, service. Some people... Some of this involves obtaining a video and sending it to an expert, and one, but one could also take it to their own pediatrician or local expert uh, if they prefer. And there are some cases. resources in countries where, for example, in St. Petersburg or Moscow, there's uh, U.S.-trained or English-speaking physicians or pediatricians where somebody can actually get that done there. Um, but again, uh, and I have some resources, but... The Internet and various websites provide this information online, or local adoption support groups are, again, a good source of information sure, for anybody. Sure, theirs, exactly. I'm fine. That's really true. I know that you can't read every, you can't believe everything you read on the Internet, but if you can speak to somebody that can refer you to a professional, you can check them out, too. And I think that's Sure. Um, now, the health documents, I know that's always been a concern. People saying, well, I go, you know, we see a lot of disrupted inter- international adoptions, unfortunately, but... Um, people going in with their eyes open to find 